I'm Dash, father to two adoptive daughters and two biological sons between the ages of two and 13. And I'm Swai. I'm a year and a half into parenting and it is way harder than I thought it would be. You are now listening to the sounds of Imperfect Dads, a parenting podcast. We're going to use this little corner of the internet to create a community that has empathy for and camaraderie with other imperfect parents. A place where we can learn from other people how to be better parents. And occasionally figure out how to be cooler parents. Welcome to episode zero, where we will introduce ourselves and the show. Won't be our usual format, so feel free to skip to other episodes if you aren't interested or if prequels aren't your thing. And between you and me, I totally understand how prequels could not be your thing if you're a Star Wars fan. Hey, Sly. Hey, Dash. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. I was just coming into this pod as we get ready to start for season one, thinking it's a little bit of a fixer-upper, but it has potential. You know, I spent four years renovating a house, and the only thing I can say is that it will eventually look a lot better. Well, that's encouraging. We're getting our feet wet. We're getting started, and I'm sure that we will have some improvement. Why don't you tell these fine listeners of ours who you are raising and who you are raising that person with? My wife and I have been married for almost 10 years now, and about 15 months ago, out popped our first little one. Uh, Little dude is lots of fun, but to be honest, when I imagined being a parent, I think I skipped straight toward toddler stage or uh, pre-school age, uh, thinking that I would be able to teach my son how to play catch and build forts on day one. And I'll be honest, man, the first year, all it is is a lot of pooping and a lot of feeding and a lot of nap times and washing bottles. It was probably a bad move to set your expectations. For the first eight and a half years of our marriage, we weren't exactly living by ourselves. We had houses full of teenagers. We had houses full of toddlers and infants. And I think I just imagined that we would be past that point where I would be changing diapers. I I don't think I ever had to experience the banal experiences that, you know, drive the day-to-day parenting of an infant. Yeah, it is truly a joy. Your wife is in the public health care sector. She is very smart. And why don't you share a little bit about her? Yeah, so my wife works in marketing in public health. Uh, she is smart. She is smarter than me. And she's eminently more employable at this moment. So she is the breadwinner and I am fortunate enough to be the primary caregiver to take care of all of the household labor while we're raising this infant. That's right. And I hope that you share on social media at least three times a week, how much you would get paid if you actually got paid for all of the tests that you do as stay at home dad. You know, I'll be honest. There's Uh, been a lot of instances where my eyes have been opened to the necessity of and the disrespect that is afforded to uh, the labor in the household. Uh, My eyes have been opened to a lot of things. One of the things is how ridiculously low our standards are for most dads. 
if I take my child, my one child who still can't walk and rides in the cart to the grocery store, I will, no joke, have three or four people come up to me almost every time and say, oh, wow, you're such a great dad. Oh, you're so brave taking your kid out. Or, oh, daddy has to babysit today, huh? First of all, person, it's my child. You don't babysit your own child. You parent your child. Second of all, I just saw a lady walk through the other lane, the other checkout lane, with four kids and had all of them grabbing candy bars at the checkout, trying to get out the door without, like, losing her mind. I think that's the person that deserves the commendation. She's probably a little bit ahead of you in the parent of the year balloting. I would say so, unless I get the male privilege points, because that, like, doubles or triples my score. Yeah, I mean, you know, when in America, do you like Americans? Our wives are pretty similar. My wife is also very intelligent. She's in healthcare as well. I think that's what makes our wives good friends, probably, is they can talk shop and also occasionally commiserate uh, about how ridiculous their husbands are. We have four kids. Our oldest we adopted when she was nine months old, and now she is 13 in the seventh grade. We have a biological son who is a third grader. We have uh, another daughter that we adopted from Ethiopia. She is in second grade. And we have a little guy who's about the same age as your son. Um, And we're really enjoying parenting a two-year-old and a seventh grader at the same time. It makes for exactly zero dull moments in our home any given week. I imagine that to be a pretty full schedule. It's packed. We go to a lot of basketball games, a lot of concerts, and a lot of what I do right now is ferry people to and fro. You're basically like the soccer mom. Do you have a minivan too? I do have a minivan, black, Toyota Sienna, Swagger, Wagon, Although we're the only, everybody else in our community has white minivans except us. We have the black minivan. And then this other family moved into the community and it was the second one with the black Sienna, but they also have the blackout wheels, which is way doper than what we have. So I went from being really cool to being cooler than the rest of our friends, but not as cool as the family with the blackout wheels on the minivan. Did you feel compelled to get a bigger speaker system? I'm thinking about it. You could always get spinners. Yeah, I could. Gotta sort your swagginess somehow. Yeah. Pink dice, fuzzy dice hanging from your mirror. Nope. That wouldn't do it, but I could pull a Han Solo and do the small gold dice hanging from the rear view mirror. Yeah, you could even pass them to your high school girlfriend. (laughs) I may not do this at this point. (laughs) So how did you guys get into adoption? Well, like most families, we talked about it. And then when we were both in graduate school, I got a spot on a game show, Wheel of Fortune, and stumbled into enough money to give us the opportunity to adopt a lot earlier than we thought would be possible. And 
we were still pretty young at that point. We were going the international adoption route, and for a lot of countries, we weren't old enough. And there was an, one country that we were old enough, but it was going to take multiple trips, and it was a really long process. We ended up adopting from Vietnam, and at that point, we were kind of in the community. So even though we did have our son as our second child, we still kind of had this idea that we did want to adopt again and another door opened and and we were able to do that. And it's been just a really meaningful opportunity for us, the parenting piece, but then also to be a part of the adoption and foster care community, develop relationships with other parents and learn more about how we can be better resources for each other and the kids in our community and um, the parents who are, are working through a lot of the similar conversations that we work through in our house. What would you say the most important lesson you've learned from having an adopted child versus only having biological children? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think the most important thing is to realize that you're not alone. Adoptive parents and foster parents a lot of times will have challenges that when they look at other families, those challenges might not be apparent from the outside. And I know that we had a really good support group of parents in Kansas city. And when we moved to the town where we're at now, there are a lot of adoptive families, but there wasn't really anyone to kind of gather everybody together and have conversations. And so what we found was that even though the details of all of our stories were different, there were themes that were very much the same and getting everybody in the room together and saying, this is what we're seeing. This is what we're experiencing. It's one of the first times that people could say, Oh, me too. Like I thought I was the only one. So, um, you know, I think for any kind of parenting, it's important to develop those relationships with other parents to get some perspective on the things that are within the realm of common experience, but especially for adoptive parents, because there will be some things that you see with attachment that may make you a little bit of an outlier compared to other families in your community. And it's good to have those people to lean on and to support you and that you can support and learn about stuff together. With this being an introductory episode, we did want to answer some questions that listeners have. Swai, what do we have in the mailbag today? All right, first piece of mail here. Hope it's fan mail. Never know. Uh, this is from Hater in the House 503 at gmail.com. The internet is littered with podcasts that people abandoned after a handful of episodes. What makes you think that yours will be different? Well, thank you, Hater in the House 503 at gmail.com. When, when we were talking about this, Swai, we did specifically say that we wanted to litter the internet with a podcast that got near double digits of episodes. So that's one thing that would make us different. We really I can't think, make it into syndication unless we hit at least double digits. That's true. That's where the big money is. Um, we're also realists. Like we know what our schedule is and so we've decided that we'll do every other week releases instead of every week just so it doesn't get overwhelming and that what we put out there is of 
a reasonable quality. We also decided that, you know, we'll just commit to one season, which will run through May, and that seems doable. And I don't know about you, but I am very much aware of the fact that we are podcasting noobs, and so it's good to not bite off more than we can chew. Amen. Second question comes from Twitter user at your wife and kids. OMG, why are you so embarrassing? I think that we could take this on in two different approaches here. Uh, First of all, I don't think that we're interested in embarrassing our family on any real level, but at the same time, we are always going to be incredibly embarrassing to our kids. Yeah, I would correct you. I am interested in embarrassing my family in person on occasion when it's necessary, but probably not just dragging them on the internet. That's not cool. There's no real uh, no real point in that. Yes, we can make a deal with ourselves that the people we'll make fun of the most are us. We will bring our families into the discussion sometimes, but this is not going to be a gripe fest about the people that we share homes with. It's really going to be more about sharing common experiences and talking to the guests that we have about things that can help us be better parents. I think one of the things that is important to state up front and for us to remember as well is that, and this is especially difficult for those of you that know us in person, uh, to try and remain optimistic, but also to take off our cool jackets a little bit. Uh, I think sometimes there's this uh, persona that people take on where they have all the answers and they know uh, everything that's already going to happen. We are not those people. And I think that we are committing to you as well, that we are not going to pretend to be those people. The reason we call this imperfect dads is because we are, fully aware of our many shortcomings do you have your imperfect dad tattoo yet well we haven't finalized the logo i don't think that we mm. want. all right well i'll get with the marketing department about that so yeah i'll call the graphic designer this week awesome sweet what do we got next all right this is from another twitter user at myopic dad what does it look like to become a more empathetic parent? A more empathetic parent. Um, You and I have both worked in some pretty diverse contexts. We worked together in higher education, in a college setting. We've both done kind of like urban youth work in different cities in America. And what we've both seen is that There are so many people with so many different experiences that we come in contact with every day, but a lot of times we interpret everything that they do through the experiences that we have. Um, So, you know, like we just never know what experiences our kids' friends have had. We don't know always the backgrounds that the parents of our kids' friends have had. And this is a world right now where we have these really big, broad conversations a lot of times online and we tend to be very opinionated, but it's difficult for us to see things from other people's points of view. 
And so being an empathetic parent is about being able to, to see or guess at how the world works based on things that we may not have experienced ourselves. Yeah. I mean, the definition of empathy is to, to understand through someone else's perspective, right? So to vicariously experience someone else's feelings, thoughts, experiences, you know, whatever. I think that one of the things that we will uh, try to emphasize is that there are a lot of different ways to do things. There are a lot of different people that, as you said, have had just out of this world experiences that are so much different than what we would what we would define as norms, right? Yeah, for sure. Our next question is an email question. Wu-Tang is for the children at wutype.com. What member of the Wu-Tang clan correlates best to your parenting personality? Ooh, man. Yeah, I'm probably a method man, you know. I like to shake things up with my bluntness and honesty. That does make sense. I think, too, method man is probably like an Enneagram 8 and you're about an Enneagram 8-ish, which would make you guys a good match for each other. Yeah, I think I think if you're playing matchmaker, method man... I don't know. I mean, you could talk to my wife. <laughs> yes, the That's big Wu Tang fan that joke. she is. Neither of you are huge Wu Tang Clan fans. I am, but a uh, fun plot twist: you've actually seen Wu Tang Clan in person, and I have not. Yeah, I was one person up and one person over from being able to touch the hand, the outstretched hand of Ghostface Killa. Which would have been awesome, but then you never would have been able to wash that hand again. It would have been really uncomfortable for everyone that's encountered me in the last 14 years. Yeah, yeah. Being the Wu-Tang Clan fan myself, I've considered this quite a bit. And I've kind of overlaid it with this idea of the Enneagram. The Enneagram is this personality type. Um, it's a personality type paradigm that... No one exactly knows who developed it because it was probably like sometime around the fourth century, but it's become popular again. And when I first started to hear about it, it seemed like something that only white Christian ladies were talking about of, you know, which you and I are both married to one. And then I started to realize that there was some stuff in there that applied to me and and helped me understand a little bit more about who I am as a person and who I am as a parent. But I also feel like in the whole Enneagram conversation, there is some room for a culture translator. And with the Enneagram, there are nine personality types with the Wu-Tang Clan, nine original members, now 10, so you can double them up. And so I did a little exercise where I went through and I assigned each member of the Wu-Tang Clan a Enneagram number. And if you want to check that out, I wrote it down on paper and we will put it on the show notes and on our website, imperfectdads.com. All that to say, I'm going to give myself um, uh, the Jizza as my parenting Wu-Tang Clan type. He is a thinker. He 
is a person who has had his own science show and is also, I would say, probably the most spiritually literate of the members of the Wu-Tang Clan. So he's always dropping little Easter eggs in there. And he seems like a guy that kind of gets lost in his own thoughts and likes to think and occasionally withdraw, which sounds like who I am and also some of the struggles that I face in parenting as a person who's prone to withdraw. So for the folks that aren't versed in Wu-Tang biographies? Yeah, we'll hook them up. What number is that? That would be a number five. Number five? Yeah. It's an investigator. You'd be a challenger. You and Method Man. He's my people, you know? Yeah, that's what I've always said. Last one is from Egostroke at me.com. You guys are great. It'll be tough to wait two weeks in between episodes. What should we do during that time? Well, we've got several options for you. First of all, check out our Facebook and Twitter pages. We'll also have the hashtag for the show for those of you that want to reach out. Hashtag, hashtag imperfect, imperfect dads. dads. You can reach out to us via email, imperfectdads at gmail.com. And if you have parenting experiences that you want to share, Twitter or email are great places to reach out to us. And we would love to share those, incorporate those on the show. Being a new independent podcast is tough in that you need to have a certain level of engagement to get more attention from search engines and apps. If you like what you hear, you can help us tremendously by going on iTunes or Stitcher and giving us a rating. If you're not sold yet, give us three or four episodes to hit stride and then go from there. If you still aren't digging us at that point, make sure you head over to our MySpace page and file a one-star review where we are equipped to dispose of those. Dude, I think you mean process those. Yeah. Imperfect Dads was created by Ben Swihart and Christian Dashiel. We also wrote, produced, and edited this episode. Yeah, we pretty much did everything. I mean, except for the music. Right, right. Shout out to the Passion Hi-Fi for all the music on this episode. Head over to thepassionhifi.com to check out the selection of beats and instrumentals he has for free and for sale. Hey, thanks for listening. Catch you on the flip. question for you come here what is a skeleton's favorite instrument you give up it's a trombone trombone